Today's scripture come from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw them, he was healed. Turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus. At Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, "Where were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? With no one found to return and give praise to God except a foreigner." And he said to him, "Rise and go your way. Your face has made you well." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me uh, once more. God, as we dig into this passage together, we ask for your mercies. God, would you speak to us and would you illumine our hearts and minds uh, through your spirit so that we'll be able to not only understand um, your truth and be able to see the beauty of the gospel, would you, but help us to apply your word into our daily lives. Thank you in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. Now, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. You know, looking back, uh, 2018, um, for for my family, um, especially for me, I mean, it, it feels like a blur. I can't believe um, it's already end of November and that we're, we're getting ready to usher in a new year. You know, for some of you, 2018 was a good year. I mean, perhaps a lot of good things happened for you and for your family and for your loved ones. But for some of you, perhaps 2018 was a difficult year, filled with a lot of ups and downs, a year that you're trying to forget. What are you most thankful for this year? I wonder if you guys had actually a chance to think about that. Even, even with the business of life. Perhaps take a moment even now to think about some of the things that you are thankful for and take a moment to even come up with a list as you're listening to, to this message. And here's the thing. By carefully examining your Thanksgiving list, you can learn a great deal about the condition of your own heart spiritually. You know, both what's on this list and what's not on this list serve as a spiritual barometer that can help us honestly gauge where we are in our walk with God. You know, John Bloom claims gratitude is a vital indicator of our soul's health. How thankful we are reveals the health of our souls. And if we want to know how healthy our souls are, we should check our levels of gratitude. So the questions that I have for you this morning is this. Do you have a thankful heart? What's keeping you from having a heart of gratitude? I want you to, to remember those questions as we move along uh, through this message. And I'll be sharing three points this morning. Number one, fighting gospel amnesia. Point number two, forgetful but not forgotten. And point number three, cultivating a heart of 
gratitude. Let's jump into the first point together, fighting gospel amnesia. You know, this passage reminds us that as soon as Jesus entered this village, he was met by ten lepers. But what do they do? Instead of running to Jesus, they decide to stand at a distance. I mean, they knew who Jesus was. Actually, in fact, they wanted to go to Jesus because they knew and they believed that Jesus could heal them. Matter of fact, that Jesus was the only one who could heal people like them. But instead of running to him and getting up close and personal, what did they do? As today's passage reminds us, verse 12, they stood at a distance. And standing at a distance, they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This begs the question, right? Why didn't they go to Jesus? Why didn't they run to Jesus? It's because during those days, the lepers were considered unclean, even cursed by God. And because of that, people intentionally avoided avoided all the lepers because if you were to come in contact with them, even accidentally, you were considered unclean. And that had consequences, spiritually, socially, religiously. And for that reason, they were socially ostracized, rejected, marginalized by everyone. And they were labeled and treated as nobodies. That's what they're used to, people avoiding them. So they immediately thought that Jesus would do the same. That, that they are not supposed to, to, to get up close and personal with Jesus. So standing at a distance, because they're desperate. They want to be healed. They cry out to Jesus. Lord, Master, have mercy on us. To help you really understand um, the context, and I want us to actually delve a little bit deeper into Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. Did you know that there's two chapters in the Bible devoted just for lepers? You know, at Leviticus chapter 13, I mean, the laws about leprosy is mentioned here, and they're very elaborate and detailed instructions for, uh, for the priest when it comes to dealing with the lepers. So the lepers were people showing symptoms of leprosy. They would come before the priest, and they were... They were they have to be examined for seven days. And after that, the priest will pronounce you're unclean. And that means they have to be quarantined. They couldn't be part of the regular society in a day-to-day life. They couldn't even enter the place of worship, right? To make my point, I want us to actually read Leviticus 13 verses 45 to 46 together. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean unclean and he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean he shall live alone his dwelling shall be outside the camp this is how they were marked so if you happen to be a leper during those days people knew <laughs> Because you had to look a certain way. 
and you had to behave a certain way. They weren't allowed to be part of regular day life. They were separated physically. But if they ever wanted to, to, to be part of a, a public space, you know what they had to do? I mean, they had to wear torn clothes and they had to let their hair loose, right? But not only that, as they were entering into a, per, a public space, they had to cover their upper lip like this and, and cry out, leper, leper, unclean, unclean, dirty person coming. That's what they had to do. Just picture that. Unclean, unclean, and people would just run away. That was their life. That's what they're used to. So perhaps they thought Jesus wouldn't want to, to, to be as up close and personal with us, so they cry out to him from a distance. Did you know that in order to be pronounced clean by the priest, the lepers actually had to go through an extremely rigorous process of being cleansed. And this had to be done and verified and confirmed by the priest. And to make my point, I want us to actually read Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 to 20 together. Very detailed and specific laws about cleansing lepers. And these were given to the priest. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then if the case of the leprous disease healed in the leprous person, the the priest shall command them to take for him uh, who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them uh, to kill one of the birds in in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leper's disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp and live outside his tent seven days. On the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head and his beard and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair and then he shall wash, wash his clothes and bathe, in, in, bathe his body in water and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and you lamb a year old without blemish and a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the places of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy." The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the, on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of the oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot and on top of the blood of the guilt offering. 
and the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. That's the process that they had to go through in order to be pronounced clean by the priest. The priest had to intervene on their behalf so that they can be cleansed of their uncleanness before God, and then they're allowed to to join the rest of society. That's what they were used to. And that's how it was for the lepers. And this is the reason why during those days, people who were considered clean avoided the leopards. It had consequences for them. Spiritually, religiously, socially, relationally, physically. Avoided them. They were considered to be the untouchables. Don't go near them. Do not go near them. Unless you want to be just like them. Because they didn't want to become unclean. But notice what Jesus says for them. After hearing their cries from a distance, this is what he tells them in verse 14. Go and show yourselves to the priests. If Had he ended there, then the lepers would have been like, well, he's telling us something we already know. Yeah, go through the rigorous process of being cleansed, and then perhaps one day if we ever get healed, then we can go back to the regular life and how people live. But he doesn't stop there, right? But here's the thing. Go and show yourself to the priest, and as they go, something remarkable and miraculous happens. What happened? As they went, they were cleansed. They didn't have to go through this rigorous process of being cleansed. But as they were walking away, they were fully healed. They were cleansed. Elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, there's another account of Jesus ministering to a leper. And in this account, Jesus does something that's very different compared to what we see in today's passage. Because in today's passage, Jesus pretty much told them with his words, go and show yourself to the priest. And, and as they went, they were healed, right? But in this a specific account in Luke chapter, this is mentioned in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Jesus actually does something that was like an absolute no-no during those days. And let me read it for us, verse 12. While he was, on, uh, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 13, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. So what does Jesus do for this, for this leper? He actually stretches out his hand and then touches him. And I'm willing to bet people cringed at the sight of that. Jesus, why would you touch him? He's unclean. Now you're going to be unclean. That's what they thought. But notice what happens. Something remarkable, something beautiful happens. When Jesus touches this leper, 
Jesus doesn't get unclean. He doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. And here we see a glimpse of the one who has power to heal, the power to restore. And we see a glimpse of that here in this passage, right? Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean, right? Now notice how the ten respond to this act of mercy, to be fully healed of leprosy. Now nine of them, they walked away just like that. They didn't even look back. They could care less. They were just so happy and ecstatic that they had been healed. They just go about doing their thing and they walk away into the horizon. And sadly, only one came back to thank Jesus for what he had done for them. I mean, how should they have responded to such act of grace and mercy? Think about it. How should they have reacted after experiencing such mighty act of God's power and seeing his glory as they were being fully healed of leprosy? I mean, all of them, they were probably awestruck and filled with wonder immediately. But here's the thing. Even after seeing that and personally experiencing God's power, nine of them walked away. Only one came back to worship. That didn't lead them to worship. What's wrong with this picture? I think it's an accurate depiction of our own hearts, to be honest. Sometimes we get so caught up I think part of it is because we live in such a materialistic society that we get so caught up with the stuff that God gives us. And we're thankful at that moment. But then the moment we uh, become, you know, the moment we receive, you know, that very thing that we want, we just forget the giver. And that's just how we operate. And let's be honest. We're thankful for that split second and then we just walk away, forgetting that never, ever happened. And we fail to worship God with a grateful heart continuously. And we're more like the nine that just walked away than the one who came back and remained at his feet to worship him. Because what Jesus had done for them, done for him, it moved him to worship, right? So who are you in this passage? Does your life, does your heart reflect that of the nine who walked away? Or are you more like the one who stayed to give thanks with a grateful heart? Something to think about. There's a movie called 51st Dates. Anybody who's seen it? So Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. So if you don't know, um, the story, here's a brief synopsis. So Henry falls in love with Lucy. But soon he finds out that she actually suffers from short-term memory loss. So they will go on a date, and the very next morning she will completely forget the whole thing. And when Henry shows up, Lucy's like, who are you? Right? So what Henry did is he actually made a tape 
for Lucy. And he will remind Lucy, the first thing you get up, you watch this tape so that you remember who you are, so that you remember who I am, so that you remember us and the journey that we've been through together, the love that we have for each other, right? So she does that every day. I think there's Lucy in all of us, to be honest. I mean, don't we forget also quickly the blessings that God has bestowed upon our lives, the work that God is doing in our lives? And I do believe that Henry's love for Lucy is actually a, a glimpse, that through his love for Lucy, we see a glimpse of God's relentless pursuit for people like us who continue to forget and grumble and complain. But we have a Savior, a Father who loves us, and who will continue to relentlessly pursue after broken sinners like you and me, who continue to forget and grumble and continue to live a life with ingratitude, right? And this is the reason why we need to fall in love with Jesus every day. And this is the reason why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we are that forgetful, unbelievably forgetful. Just like Lucy had to keep watching that tape every morning, we need to go back to the gospel every morning, every day, and preach the gospel to ourselves so that we remember who God is and remember who we really are. And what he has done for us once and for all on the cross 2,000 years ago. But, what it, but not only that, what God is also doing in our midst even today. And here's the thing. Because we are this forgetful, and because we suffer from gospel amnesia, we need to some, do something about it. We need to fight this. We need to try to overcome this. And how do we do that? By remembering and celebrating which leads me to my next point, forgetful but not forgotten. Notice how Jesus responds to their action. They all walk away, but only one came back. So in verse 17, Jesus says, We're not ten cleansed, or are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan? It's tragic, right? What happened to them? Where are they? How can they just walk away just like that without even looking back? And they didn't even bother to come back to say thank you to Jesus, right? I think it's so easy for us to sit here and point fingers at them and, point fingers at them and say, how could they do that? Jesus healed them of leprosy. Their lives are not forever changed. But, how, but after seeing that, God's power and glory, how can they just walk away instead of worshiping at his feet and glorifying him? But let's be honest here. We're no better than them. In fact, we're just like them. The nine that just walked away, right? You know, if you read through the Old Testament, Exodus onward, you'll see two things that remain constant through every pages of Scripture. You know what that is? Two things that remain constant? Exodus onward. The forgetfulness, 
grumbling and the ingratitude of the Israelites. And the other thing is, the God who remains covenantally faithful to them through it all. Those are the two things that are constant through every page, Exodus onward. I mean, let's go back and retrace how God has been so faithful to them, to the Israelites, to his people, since bringing them out of the land of Egypt, a land of slavery, right? I mean, they're the ones who witnessed with their very own eyes the ten plagues, right? God sent ten plagues, and through that, he was, he was manifesting his power. These are mighty acts of God's power, and they were there to witness the ten plagues, right? And as God brought them out under the leadership of Moses, and as they were journeying through the promised land, what happened? This is mentioned in Exodus 13, verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, they did not depart from the people. So with their very own eyes, this is what they saw every day, day in and day out. The pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, they saw it with their very own own eyes. And when they get to the Red Sea, what happened? You guys all know the story. God parts the Red Sea miraculously, and then they end up crossing over to the other side, walking on dry ground. And after that, God provides water for them when they're thirsty. God gives them manna on a day-to-day basis. God's provision, God's faithfulness. But how do they respond to that? Exodus 32, they create a golden calf. After seeing all that, because they're so ungrateful, like, God, we don't need you. We need something that we can see. So they, this is what they decide to do in, in full-blown sinful rebellion, right? But the question is, how can they do this after witnessing? I mean, they are eyewitnesses, right? How can they do this after seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, eating tangible expressions of God's covenant faithfulness, right? How can they do that? But this continues. Read along. If you get to Numbers, I mean, they're, they're still journeying through the wilderness to the promised land. Numbers 11, they complain again. They complain again. Numbers 14, they, they uh, rebel again. And, and I think at this point, God got so fed up with them. So if you look at actually Numbers 15, this is almost comical, but this is what God told them so that they will not forget. And this comes from Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41. So the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them and not to follow after your own heart, to your own eyes, which are inclined to whore after So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God and I am the Lord your God. Try to picture this. Put tassels on the garments and journey through the wilderness. I mean, all the jingles that they will hear. But even after this, they continue to forget Continue to grumble, complain, doubt, and question God. Numbers 20, God gives them water again because they're thirsty. But Numbers 21, they complain again. This continues, right? And how can they do that? That's the question. 
after personally witnessing God's power and his mighty acts. How can they do that? After personally experiencing God's provision and his covenant faithfulness over and over and over again, they saw, they ate, they heard, they touched tangible expressions of God's love for them. But they still grumbled and complained with an ingrate, with an heart of ingratitude. So you know what Moses did for them? This is mentioned in Deuteronomy. Before they enter the promised land, I mean, the entire book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses' famous last words to the next generation of Israelites as they get ready to enter the promised land, right? And in a nutshell, Moses tells them, remember God. Love the Lord your God. And as you enter into the promised land, the land that God has promised to give to you, but as you enter and take possession of this land, do not forget God. Remember God. Love and serve God and Him alone. And this was a solemn warning to the next generation of Israelites. But do you know what they did? They listened, but they forgot. Read along what happens. They continued to break God's heart over and over and over again. But yet, God still remains faithful to them. What kind of love is that, right? And in spite of their sinful rebellion and covenant unfaithfulness, God still chooses to remain faithful to them and also to his covenant promises. You know, there is a word in the Hebrew language that is specifically reserved for highlighting the unfathomable richness of God's love for his people. And in the Old Testament, the word hesed is used to describe the depth of God's love for his people. The Hebrew word hesed has a richer and deeper meaning than the English word that we are familiar with, love. And it means a steadfast, unfailing love that is firmly grounded in a covenantal relationship. I think a quote by R.C. Sproul Jr. is helpful, and, and I quote, There may be no more significant Old Testament description of how God relates to his people than this Hebrew word hesed. I argue that the best translation of this term would be loyal love. God loves his people genuinely, immutably, loyally. Both the love and the loyalty are, of course, tightly bound together. And that is just as one cannot love capriciously, so one cannot be loyal without love. God is for his people, and he will never cease to be for them. Two things remain constant, right? People continue to forget God, break his heart, and continue to show covenant unfaithfulness. But we have a God who remains constant in his love for his people. This kind of loyal love. God's has it. And God is telling us, yes, that is you. And I know you're going to continue to break my heart, but here but I'm going to continue to love you until the end, and I'm going to continue to remember you, and I will not forsake you nor abandon you. I will be with you until the end. And that's God's promise to his people. So we may forget him, 
but we will never ever be forgotten. And that's what the gospel says, right? You know, God is love, as 1 John 4, 8 reminds us, which means that we have to provoke him to anger. We don't need to provoke God to love because he himself is love. But when we break his heart, we provoke him to wrath and anger. But here's the thing. But even in the midst of all that covenant unfaithfulness, God says, I will still, even in the midst of all that, I will still remember you and never, ever cut you out. And I will be with you until the end. I will remember you. Let's jump into our last point, cultivating a heart of gratitude. Do you guys know how hunters, people, they uh, catch a monkey? So what they would do is they would grab a coconut and drill a hole that's just just barely big enough for the monkey to just put his hand in to reach in for what is inside, right? And they will, the people who want to catch monkeys, they will stuff that coconut with the things that the monkeys would love to eat and, and they just walk away. So monkeys come and what they do after making sure that there's no one around, they'll put their hand in the coconut and they, tr- they just grab as much as they can because they're hungry. But here's the thing. Unless they let go, they cannot take their hand out. So the people who put those traps, they come, and monkeys are going hysterical because they don't, they don't want to be caught. But here's the thing. All they have to do is just let go. But they don't let go. So they get dragged. They get dragged. And eventually they get caught. All they had to do was just let go, but they, they, they don't. It's kind of sad, right? But I think to a certain extent, we're just like the, those monkeys who just refuse to let go. Perhaps you don't even know that because of what you have been holding on to, whatever that is, and that's not Jesus, you don't even know that you're being dragged away. And because that's been happening for so long, maybe you don't even know how far you have wandered away from your Lord and Savior, that you don't even know that you are being dragged away. All this time, your heart feels just dead. You're lukewarm. There's no joy. There's no gratitude. The question I have for you is this. What are you holding on to if that's not Jesus? Because whatever that thing is that you think is going to give you significance, meaning, happiness, it's going to do the quite opposite for you, to be honest. And it's going to continue to make you into an even more you know, grumpy person. And you're going to continue to live a life of ingratitude. And this is why it is so difficult for us to cultivate and maintain a heart of gratitude. We live in a broken world. And what we see in this monkey just being dragged away, I mean, I do believe that that's just who we are. That's an accurate description and depiction of our own hearts, right? So we have so many things going, going against us in terms of being able to cultivate and maintain a heart of gratitude. And this is why we need to fight for this. And the reason why we have such a hard time cultivating a heart of gratitude is because we're gospel amnesiacs. 
And Paul Tripp reminds us, a gospel amnesiac is someone who in the middle of the, the duties and responsibilities of everyday life forgets their identity in Christ and the new morning mercies that they've been given by grace. In other words, every Christian who ever lived is a gospel amnesiac. Did you know that we are gospel amnesiacs? We constantly suffer from gospel amnesia. And just like the Israelites, we forget. We question, we doubt, we grumble, we complain in this journey of faith, forgetting the things that we need to remember and remembering the things that we should forget. That's who we are, right? And this is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day as we learn to let go of the very things that's dragging us further away from our Lord and Savior, right? We need a gospel memento, something that will bring us back to God, that will remind us of his covenant faithfulness, remind us of who he is and what he has done for us and what he is doing for us today and what he will continue to do for us, right? In the Israelites, as they were journeying through the what it is to the promised land, you know, God showed up again and again and again because they still didn't get it and they kept forgetting, right? So one more example of how God remains so faithful to his people. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Let's read this together. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe of men, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, um, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come what do these stones mean to you then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan the waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever so the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan. And according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just that the Lord told Joshua, and they carried them, o- carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid, th- laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant has stood, and they are there to this day. Because they were so forgetful, God told them, you know what? I will part the Jordan River for you. In case you've forgotten, I also parted the Red Sea for you. Because you are so forgetful, I want you to build a memorial, something that you can see visibly. So that each time you look at this, you will remember who I am and what I've done for you. And I want you to do this. So after crossing the Jordan River on their way to the Promised Land, this is what they did, right? And I do believe that we also need a memorial. Something that we can see. Things that are visible. Things that can help us remember so that we won't simply forget. So that we can continue to remember and celebrate God's hesed. His covenant faithfulness. His loyal love. We all need a gospel 
momentum. Do you guys have one? Something that you can turn to? In times of struggle, in times of desperation, when you feel like your heart is just so dry and lukewarm, especially in those days when you don't feel like worshiping God, do you have something that you can turn to and look at visibly that will bring you back? That will snap you out of this spiritual slumber? For some of you, it's, it's your journal. For some of you, it's a specific types of praise songs that bring you back to that moment of sweet surrender and, and intimate encounter with God. If you look closely enough, you can find these memorials that are already in your lives, and it's time to get them out. Because I promise you, along this journey of faith, you're going to continue to forget. That's just given. And this is how you cultivate a heart of gratitude. Put things in your life where you will be reminded of God's love for you, where you can visibly see, touch. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they can also serve as a memorial too, to point you back to God as we journey together. Help you remember the faithfulness that he has shown you all these years years, right? John Bloom in his article, Fill Your Wandering Heart with Thankfulness, this is what he writes, concerning the difficulty that lies in cultivating and maintaining a thankful heart. I quote, We should monitor our gratitude, not merely for our, pers- for our spiritual health, but also for our spiritual protection. Gratitude is what we experience when we perceive that what we have received is an undeserved gift of God's grace. It is a fruit of humility. It's inherently unselfish. We don't feel true gratitude towards ourselves, but only towards someone else who treats us better than we deserve. The more thankfulness is present in us, the less vulnerable we are to sin. That's why the Bible talks so much about thanksgiving. Thankful people have set their eyes on God, recognizing to some degree how much grace we are receiving right now, trusting Him to cover all our sin and work our, and work our painful past for good, and looking to Him for all we need uh, tomorrow and, and into eternity, so as I can learn to be content in God in whatever situation, our souls that are the least vulnerable to temptation. Cultivating thankfulness is not easy. There is no thankfulness hack. There are no shortcuts. No four easy steps to a grateful heart. It's as hard as habit building. We begin to train our heart eyes to, to look for God's grace in all circumstances. This looking must become habitual, and the habits are built by doing them every day. We get incrementally better at them as the days gradually accumulate to months and months to years. They become more and more a part of us over time. And this is something that we need to do intentionally. Do you want to cultivate a heart of gratitude and do you want to maintain a heart of gratitude? You need to do this every day. Preach the gospel to yourselves every day. Surround yourselves with people who will remind you of God's goodness every day. Continue to remember and celebrate. And that's how you continue to live a life of gratitude, no matter what comes your way. I think John Newton is absolutely right when he writes this. I advise you to take a lodging as near as you can to Gethsemane and to walk daily to Mount Golgotha. In a nutshell, he's saying, pray, spend time with God. 
Pick up your crosses daily, remembering the love of your Savior, the Hesed of Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. Remember who He is. Remember who you once were apart from Him. And continue to celebrate what He has done for you. Celebrate Hesed, His covenant faithfulness, His loyal love. Celebrate who you are becoming through faith in Jesus Christ. And continue to give thanks. And guess what? Repeat the process over and over and over again. And that's how you fight gospel amnesia. And that's how you fight your forgetfulness. Don't be like the nine that walked away. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him. Behold and gaze upon his beauty. Knowing that all of us, we are doing so much better than than we deserve. That God is for us and he's not against us. That even when we forget, we will never be forgotten. And one day we will stand before him and spend eternity with him. And that's where this is headed, right? So with that in mind, I mean, how can we keep from giving thanks? Let's pray. God, we ask for forgiveness because we are people that continue to forget your goodness and your faithfulness. And we continue to grumble and complain And that's just who we are. That's what we are used to. But Father, thank you that you are God who remains faithful to us. And God, as we continue to to live in this broken world, instead of counting reasons to complain and to whine, but help us to be able to see the work of your hands in our lives, no matter what we are going through. And help us to be able to continue to cultivate and maintain a heart of gratitude as we intentionally remember and celebrate your covenant faithfulness in our lives, Lord. God, thank you that your love for us does not change. Thank you that you're a God who remains yesterday, today, and forever. May we continue to walk with you with a heart of genuine gratitude. God, we love you. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.